If you have a Bible with you tonight, I would like you to turn to a passage that we looked at this morning, and that is Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verses 18 through 32. Give you a minute to turn there, and I'll just have you hold your place there as I make a couple of comments as I begin tonight. Maybe as you looked at the Sunday evening schedule, you found the topic that I am preaching on a bit bizarre or unusual. I am going to share with you in two sermons 14 examples of the noetic effects of sin or of the noetic effects of the fall of man. Now, this may be a subject that some of you are familiar with, but my guess is most of you are not. I will admit I find it a very intriguing and interesting subject, but that's not the only reason I want to share it with you. I also think it is important for us as Christians to be familiar with this particular concept and with this particular term. I will share with you six examples tonight, and then in part two I will share eight more with you. Tonight I will spend some time in an introductory part of it, And then in the second part, we'll also look at some other things at the end as we talk about the importance of heaven. And I think you'll understand that as I move through this. But I also want to say tonight that um, one of the things that God has blessed me with over the years as a pastor, especially as a teaching pastor is I have never been able to preach other people's sermons. Sometimes I wish I could. It might save me some time, but I've never really been able to do that. And I think in one way that's been God's protection upon my ministry because it keeps me from any kind of plagiarism. Uh, it would be easy to do, especially with some good sermons that are out there. But I've, I've just never felt comfortable with that. I've just never been able to do that. However, I do think it's important... Um, any time that we borrow heavily from someone else, that we acknowledge that and that we um, give credit where credit is due. And I especially want to do that for these two messages that I am going to share with you. There are two sources from which I have borrowed heavily and have listened to carefully over a number of years on this particular subject. One is Dr. Al Mohler, the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, who probably more than anyone I know of has spoken frequently on this subject. I consider, just my opinion, Dr. Mohler to be one of the most careful thinkers in our entire generation, one of the most careful Christian thinkers, I should say. The other source that I have uh, borrowed heavily from and read quite a bit of over the last few years is Ligonier Ministries, the longtime teaching ministry of R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul, as you may know, is now home with the Lord, but his teaching ministry continues on many sermons and articles, and they have dealt with this subject a number of times. The noetic effects of the fall, the noetic effects of sin. And what I want to do tonight is I want to start by looking at what may be the most important passage in all of Scripture on this particular subject, and that is Romans chapter 1 and verses 18 through 32, especially that first part of it. Let me just read it for you because it will form the foundation for everything else that I am going to share with you tonight. Tonight. 
The Apostle Paul in Romans 1 writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God or the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, there are some verses here that are absolutely crucial to what I want to share with you tonight. In verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And I want you to really have this embedded in your minds tonight. For who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They knowingly, deliberately suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Notice that. Because God has shown it to them. Verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming, claiming to be wise, they became fools. In verse 28 it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. God gave them up. Now watch this to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. And then in verse 32, it says, though they know 
though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, though they know this, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Well, our first point tonight is the fall of man. In Genesis 3, we read of the fall of man and its enormous consequences upon mankind right up to our own day. Adam and Eve give in to the temptation of Satan and all of humanity, all of history is plunged into the consequences of sin. Now we know theologically, biblically, that the first consequence was death. Separation and alienation from God ultimately resulting in eternal punishment for all who die without Christ. Second, we know, as I just mentioned, that all of mankind throughout history and continuing into our own day and beyond plunged into sinfulness and depravity. But it is the third consequence that I really want us to focus on tonight. And that is the fall into sin has caused mankind to ignore and deny their creator. Sin has affected our minds and causes our thinking to become futile. And I defined futile this morning. Didn't necessarily coordinate those two passages, but it worked out well. And so our thinking has become futile or becomes futile apart from Christ. And so this effect of sin upon our minds is known in theology as the noetic effects of sin. I have this in the bulletin for you toward the back in the outline, but here is the definition, just so that all of us are on the same page tonight. The noetic effects of the fall refers to the intellectual consequences of sin. Its effect on our entire process of thinking. The fall has not only affected our emotions, has not only affected our bodies in that we grow old and we die, it has also affected our ability to think. Now this is no minor issue. This is no light issue. It has had enormous historical consequences. Much of the difference historically between historical Roman Catholicism and historical biblical Protestantism can be understood most fully through the noetic effects of sin. When we think of the difference between Catholics and Protestants, we primarily think of three areas. The first area is justification. How are we saved? How is the human soul justified before a holy God? Roman Catholics believe that you have to believe or have faith in Christ, but you must add to that human effort or human works in order to complete your salvation. Biblical Protestantism has always taught that salvation comes by faith alone in the substitutionary death and resurrection of Jesus Christ completely apart from human works. That is what we recognize as perhaps the most significant difference between the two beliefs. 
Secondly, we have always understood there is a difference in what our authority is. In Roman Catholicism, they have believed there are two authorities, the Bible and the church or the magisterium, and that they have equal authority with each other, and that the church can come up with encyclicals or decrees that are equal in authority and importance to Scripture. Protestants have said the Bible alone is our sole authority for faith and practice, and the church comes underneath the authority of the Bible. The church is not our authority. The Bible is our authority. And any authority that the church does have is drawn completely from the Bible itself, completely from inspired scripture. A third area where we have always had a difference is in the role of Mary. The Catholic Church believing that Mary is a perpetual virgin and can also act as an intermediary between the Christian and God, and that you can actually pray to Mary. Protestants, on the other hand, believe that the Bible teaches that Mary, though used mightily by God, and probably was a very godly young woman, that she is no different than any of us. She was a sinful person in need of a Savior, just like we are. But in the no, understanding the noetic effects of sin, there is a fourth area that is very important in our difference or understanding the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism. And that is, historically, the Catholic Church has believed that there is original sin and that we are fallen, but they believe that only our senses are fallen. That it is our sensuality that plunges us into sin. We lust. We become angry. We are greedy. We covet. We have hatred. Those are our senses. And we would agree that our senses are fallen. But in the Protestant Reformation, the Reformers came along and said, not only are our senses fallen, but our mind is fallen. Our ability to reason and think is also tainted by sin. This is a huge issue because the Catholic Church, believing that the mind did not fall, thus believes that you can think your way to God, reason your way to God, and therefore, therefore potentially add human effort and human works to your faith in Christ, thus completing your salvation by those things from your unfallen mind. Now, the premise for the two messages that I'm going to share with you is this. I believe the Bible does teach that our minds, though rational and reasonable, and I'll touch on this more in a few minutes, our minds are fallen. They are fallen. So here's the premise for the two messages. We need to be bound to the word of God, not only because it is the truth of God, but because it is only through the Bible that we know and understand reality. Apart from scripture, we live in a fantasy world that doesn't exist. 
Folks, the Bible is more important to us than we will ever understand. Yes, it is the absolute of God. It contains the absolutes that we hold to. It is God's absolute truth. However, not only is it absolute truth, but we need the Bible to understand reality. In our humanness, we do not understand what is real until we read Scripture and see from the eternal perspective of Scripture. And apart from Scripture, we find ourselves living in a fantasy world that doesn't exist. Let me give you some examples. There are people today, intelligent people, who do not believe there is a God. They do not believe there is any existence of any kind of supreme being. There are intelligent people right now, as we are meeting together, who do not believe there is any such thing as heaven and hell. There are intelligent people, millions of them all around the world, who have created a God in their own image, of their own creation. An Islamic God, a Hindu God, a Buddhist God, an animistic God, a New Age God. They make God out to be whatever they want him to be, whatever fits their needs. And folks, I submit to you tonight, they are living in a fantasy world. That world doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And there are people, millions of people who live and who die living in a fantasy world. It is only when we bind ourselves to the word of God do we understand what is real in this existence in which we live. Now, let me make an important qualification here tonight just so there are no misunderstandings. Certainly there have been some in the past who have said the fall into sin has, a, has destroyed our capacity to reason. We don't believe that and have never believed that. It is true that the unredeemed mind will ultimately lead a person to futility. However, though our minds have been affected by sin, they have not been destroyed. We would all agree tonight that unbelievers still find truth sometimes and attain a breadth of knowledge in various areas. We would all admit that unbelievers have made great discoveries in science and technology. Unbelievers have created magnificent buildings, have made great accomplishments in the area of architecture. There are unbelievers who have written great pieces of literature and great pieces of music. So yes, we still have a, an ability of rational, reasonable thought. We do as Christians and even unbelievers do. Even scripture itself presents logical arguments for its teachings, presumably both to the redeemed and the unredeemed minds. But this gets to the heart of the issue. But nonetheless, nonetheless, those rational, reasonable minds are still subject to the fall and tainted by sin. Here is the knowledge crisis. The knowledge crisis is not what we do not know, but what we will not know what we choose not to know. The knowledge crisis is not what we do not know, but what we will not know, what we choose not to know. We are rational, but we are rationally given over to sin. Let me say that again. 
We are rational, but we are rationally given over to sin. Rational people do not believe that God exists. There are quote-unquote rational people who do not believe there is such a thing as heaven and hell. There is There are rational people, reasonable people, at least in their own minds, who have created gods of their own image. It is in the areas of, um, how do I want to say that? It is in the areas of rational, of the rational and reason that we commit our greatest sins. Because our rational, reasonable minds are focused on us. We, in essence, become our own gods. Think of one area of scripture, 1 Corinthians. It says the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. To the Greeks, to the Jews, Paul says, it is foolishness. Think about that with me. Even for intelligent people apart From the moving of the Holy Spirit, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. By rational, reasonable thinking alone, because our minds are fallen, we cannot come to a full understanding of the gospel. It takes an empowerment and an enablement of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts to the gospel. Not only that, not only are we affected by our own fallenness, but we have a great enemy whose main target is our minds. You see, Christianity is a cognitive religion. We think and therefore we act. Our sinfulness is a cognitive sinfulness. We think and then we act. First we think and then we act. And so it is when we are redeemed. We think upon Scripture. What does Paul say in Romans 12? Be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your minds. Be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 3 and 4, it says this. And even if our gospel is veiled, Paul says, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So think about that. In and of himself, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them. Also, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. Folks, we need to give them the gospel straight from the word of God to allow the Holy Spirit to work in their minds and hearts. Otherwise, they are blind. Yes, they can think, in a sense, rationally and reasonably, in a sinful way. In a sinful way. 
but it is only the work of the Spirit that can open their minds. Now, having said all that, that's my long introduction. The rest of the sermon is not that long, so uh, you're okay. Uh, I want to talk about our second point is six noetic effects of sin. As I mentioned, we'll look at six tonight. Then at the end of the month, we'll look at eight, the final eight that I want to share with you. There are more than 14, but these are what I want to share with you. And what we're going to do, by the way, on Sunday nights, uh, and the reason there's a kind of a gap is because next Sunday night, where Pastor Chad is going to lead us in the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, then on Sunday night, the 18th, we'll have our Thanksgiving service, then I'll come back to part two. But what I want to share with you is that the fall of man has affected even our own minds. Not always directly because of sins we have committed, but rather the general effect of sin upon all of us. As I have said, sin affects our emotions. Sin affects our bodies. We are all growing older. We are all eventually going to die unless the rapture happens before that. But it has also affected our minds. And this is what I find fascinating, and it helps us to understand who we are Even as saved children of God, even as those who are born again, we are affected by the sin of the mind. And I think it will help us to understand some of the frustrations and stresses that we experience in this human life. It's because it's who we are, redeemed. Oh, how I love to proclaim it. However still sinful. I would compare it a lot to the fact that we are created in the image of God. We are image bearers, but that image has been stained. I am an image bearer, but I still struggle with lust and with anger and with greed and with envy. I don't always treat my neighbor as I should. I don't always think as I should. And so it is with our minds. And these, so I will share Uh, these examples of the noetic effects of sin upon even our own minds. So here are the examples. First, ignorance. Had there been no fall, there would have been no ignorance. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? We are all ignorant. There are so many subjects I do not have a clue about. There are. If you ask me about nuclear physics, I will be a deer in the headlights. I have no clue. There are so many subjects out there that I don't know anything about. And when I think about it, there are only a few subjects that I know quite a bit about. And we all do. Sometimes we have areas of, quote-unquote, we use this word very loosely, expertise, or things I may know about more about than maybe someone else does But they are relatively few as I travel this earth, as I'm on this journey. We are, for the most part, ignorant. And that's why we appeal to the one who knows all things. That's why we appeal to the one who is omniscient. Do you know, do you realize this? We read things in the word of God we would not know otherwise. We are, in a sense, through scripture, able to kind of pull back the veil of heaven and earth and all eternity and look into Uh, the glories of heaven. Loved, Mike, what we read tonight together from the book of Revelation. I think of Isaiah 6, uh, when Isaiah sees 
God enthroned, the great train of his robe, the temple shaking, filled with smoke, and think, I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't know that unless I read it in the Bible. Oh, Scripture is so important, but we are ignorant because we are fallen. We have these beautiful minds that God has created, but we only use a very small capacity of those minds. Secondly, distractedness. And this comes straight from Al Mohler. I love the way he says it. He says, every single person has theological ADD. We do. We have a tef- attention deficit disorder. All of us do. Have you ever felt that? That you have all these things you want to do and I'm not sure which one to do first. Do you ever feel that way? Things that you want to do, maybe things you know your spouse wants you to do, things you know you should do with your children, things you should know you should do at work, and you got all these things you need to do, and which one should I do? And we lose focus. We do. We are so easily distracted. You know where I am most distracted on what's most important. I know eternity is most important. I try to ask myself as often as I can, what's really going to matter when I die? But I don't always live that way. I am so distracted. Every single day all around us, there are millions of people perishing and going to hell. And I am too distracted to get it. I am. That is so much a part of my fall. It is. And that's why I need to be driven again and again and again back to the word of God to remind me, do not store up for yourselves things on earth, but store up for yourself things in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I need to, I need to hear that and I need to hear that over and over again because I am so easily distracted. Third effect of the fall, the noetic fall of the mind, is forgetfulness. Everyone has committed to memory things we have now forgotten. I really appreciated this. John Piper once said, I have forgotten more verses that I've memorized than I still remember. Do you ever feel that way? He said, I've forgotten more verses, Bible verses, that I've memorized than I still remember. Um... And we do, we're forgetful. And what I'm about to say, I don't in any way want to make light of or downplay the seriousness of something like dementia or Alzheimer's. But sometimes we tend to say as we forget things, uh, I must be in the beginning stages of dementia, right? It's my Alzheimer's. Or here's what we love to say, I'm getting older, I don't remember things as well. Well... Let me encourage you tonight. It's not just because you're getting older. It's because you're sinful. That's why you don't remember things. (laughs) We forget things all the time. My wife tells me to do something, and then she comes back and asks me why I didn't do it. It isn't because I didn't want to. It's because I forgot to do it. We're forgetting things all the time. And it's because we are of the sin in our own lives, in our, our minds. A fourth one is prejudice. Intellectual prejudice is everyone's besetting sin. We are all prejudiced and we just need to, to admit it. We are. We have certain biases, certain ways of thinking that we stick to. You know, I, I love what Tim Keller said. He said, 
he said, every one of us has blind spots. Every single one of us. And we cannot fully recognize that recognize those blind spots on our own. We need the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we all have blind spots. We all have things we don't see. Al Mohler once said, he said, the reason we are so prejudiced in this is because we only hang around with people who think the way we think. And because we, they think the way we think, we think everybody thinks the way we think. And so we take delight in that. Or people who don't think that way must not know like I know. And that is so prevalent right now in our own country. Whether liberal or conservative, whether Democrat or Republican, we don't listen to each other. We're in our own little vacuum of how we see things. And we may say they don't get it, they don't listen to us, nor do we listen to them. And so what we have is all these people in their little pockets. And we even have that in Christianity. People are in their own little pockets and ways of thinking. We've got Calvinists and we've got Arminians. We've got homeschoolers. We've got public schoolers. We've got Baptists. We've got Pentecostals. We've got all these different areas in which people only think the way they think because that's the way their group thinks. Some of you may be familiar with this next term. I first learned it in sociology, but we also learned it in the perspectives course. In fact, it's an important part of the perspectives course, and that is the term ethnocentrism. If you're not familiar with it, it is that you only tend to see the whole world through your own private perspective, from your American perspective or through your Western perspective. We have a hard time seeing an African perspective or an Asian perspective or a South American perspective, because we only see things the way we see them. And you know why that is? It's because our minds are fallen. A fifth is faulty perspective. Because we are finite, we only have a finite perspective on reality. Do you realize right now, tonight, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow? Do you ever think about that? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I didn't know... A week or so ago when I woke up in the morning that some man was going to walk in a Jewish synagogue in Pittsburgh and shoot 11 people to death. I didn't know that. I didn't know about a week and a half ago that an Indonesian airliner was going to crash, killing 189 people. And if you take the synagogue and the plane crash, that's 200 people who woke up that morning and didn't realize they were going to be dead that day. We have such a small perspective. Oh, how we need the eternal biblical perspective that we find in scripture. And then the sixth one, the last one for tonight is intellectual fatigue. We all have a limited intellectual capacity and mental reserve. We do. You ever sat in a seminar or a conference or a classroom and felt like your mind was just going to explode? Like, I, I just can't take any more information. They've overwhelmed me. Or the professor or the teacher is doing a calculus problem and you're thinking, I don't get this. I don't get it at all. It's overwhelming my mind. And it's because we do. We are all 
intellectually, mentally fatigued so easily. I first heard this even before I knew anything about the noetic effects of the fall from John MacArthur. John MacArthur once said, my desire to know the word of God is limited by my physical mental limitations. He said, my desire to know the word is so much greater than my physical ability to do it. He said, there are sometimes I'm studying the word of God. I'm studying scripture and I just want to keep studying 24 hours, but I can't because I get tired. I get weary. You ever been reading and fall asleep? You ever read the same paragraph two or three times? It's because of the fall of your mind. It's because that's how sin has affected us. I want us again to think about the premise of these two messages. We need to be bound by the word of God. We need to be bound to the word of God, not only because it is the truth of God, because, but because it is only through the Bible that we know and understand reality. Apart from scripture, we live in a fantasy world that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Oh, how we need the word of God. Let us saturate our minds with scripture. Let us give ourselves to be students for all of whatever life we have on this earth. To be students of the word of God. Next message. We're going to look at the eight, eight more effects, noetic effects of sin. And then I want to close out this, these two messages with talking about why heaven is so important. Why it'll all be different in heaven. Why we must long for heaven. In heaven, in heaven, we will be truly human for the first time. We will experience the fullness of what it means to be created in the image of God for the first time. We will know and experience God in a perfect way. Until then, we do the very best we can in our fallenness to bind ourselves, to tie ourselves to Christ and his word. Let's pray together. Father, help us to realize how fallen we are and how desperately we need you Every day, how we need you right now, how we need you tomorrow. Oh Lord, convict us that to truly see reality, we must look into the pages of your holy, inspired word. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.